0: Welcome to the Grand Point Church Podcast. We're a church serving the South Central Pennsylvania area with a mission to help as many people as possible take their next steps to find and follow Jesus. If you aren't already, make sure to connect with us online through social media or at grandpoint.church and let us know how God is moving in your life. Good morning, Grand Point. You know, I feel like I need to give you a warm welcome this morning. Is that appropriate? So as I was uh, kind of working, uh, working the crowd, greeting you when you came in this morning, we were getting some uh, temperature checks, and it went from, it was 13 at our place this morning, the next person says it was 12, and we got to someone who said it was 7 degrees, uh, lived near the mountain. Anybody beat 7 degrees this morning? Anybody colder than that? Well, anyway, it's cold out there, so welcome into the warmth of this place uh, today, and uh, I know that many of you have been watching the news this past week, and it's kind of been disheartening to see all the the deadliness of the storm that swept through the south, through Texas and some other states, and it was disheartening to watch the news of all of that as we saw um, you know, people being stranded and out of power because of the power grid being down, stories of farmers just having to dump all their milk because they couldn't process it, and the story that I think, I think that got me the, the worst was the, the elderly man who froze to death in his recliner while his elderly wife just stood nearby, almost freezing to death as well. And on and on, we saw these stories over the news, and it was kind of disheartening, and, and it raised a question that raises every time there's a natural disaster or something like this that happens, and the question is, where is God in all this? Did God cause that deadly storm to happen? Did God allow it or was God simply out of the picture and out of control of all that? Well, if you watch the news, you may have seen that Bette Midler had an answer to that. So a uh, Hollywood legend, Bette Midler comes along and she tweets to nearly 2 million of her Twitter followers that the deadly storm in Texas is a result of God getting back at Ted Cruz and John Cornyn for raising for raising concerns with the election fraud in 2020. Now we might chuckle at that, but that introduces a worldview that some people have. A worldview is what we're talking about in this series, and we defined it as the lens through which we view reality and make sense of our life and the things that happen around us. The lens through which we see God and understand God, see ourselves and understand ourselves and see the world around us. So some people have a worldview and they see God as someone that is maybe just an Avenger, someone that's up there, just an angry person trying to get get back at people. And, And we have all different views based on the lens through which we view reality. We're going to talk a little bit more about that worldview again today as we jump into uh, another message in this series called The View. If this is the first time that you're with us, uh, we just want you to know that this is a uh, a series that began two weeks ago. Uh, There's study notes that go with this. There's message notes and study guides that you can pick up on your way in. And it's, it's just a great series. And hopefully when we come to the end of this, Not only will you have a better understanding of your worldview, but you'll be able to help other people walk through theirs as well and help them discern uh, some things that are happening. Now, in this series so far, we identified four basic worldviews that people use and uh, the lens through which they see reality. The first one that we identified was material humanism, and that's the view that says this world is all that there is. There's no God, there's no deity, there's no spiritual life. All that we have right now and all that is of value is found in this world, and that's kind of what we live out. The second worldview we identified as secular humanism, which is the view that says life is all about me. It's all about me. Yes, there might be a God out there and he's good for controlling certain parts of the big universe, but my my world is all about me. I will control my world. And this is the view that says, even, even with all the problems that I have in my life, I have everything within me to solve that problem. I don't need God. I don't need anybody else. I have the resources to do that. The third view that we looked at was what we call postmodernism, or as we said, we've even evolved into a post-truth, and that's the era that most of us live in right now. This is the the worldview that says, listen, truth really is, is relative. You may have your truth, and I may have my truth, but it may not be the same, and that's okay as long as I don't force my opinion on you, and you don't force your opinion on me, and we'll just be happy, happy, happy just like that, right? And then the fourth view that we looked at was the biblical worldview, and that is the view that says the Bible. The Bible is the the lens through which we view reality and make sense of our lives and the world around us. Now, we determine that as Christ's followers, that is the view that we hold. We hold to a biblical worldview. We believe that this, this Bible is truth. There are some absolutes, this is absolute truth, as Pastor Mike talked about last week, and we're gonna live, we're gonna live according to this. Now, some of you might say, you know what, that's a pretty narrow view, isn't it? That you would just say that the Bible is the only way to see life, the only way to interpret life? Yes. It is. It is a very, very narrow view, but it is the view that gives you the broadest and the greatest understanding of God, the greatest freedom to yourself, and the greatest understanding of what's happening in the world around us. So if you want a broad view of God, if you want a lot of God in your life, this is where it is found. This is where it gives you that greatest view. So we make no apologies when we say, yes, it is a narrow view, but it is a view that works. And there's so much evidence for the validity of the Bible that you ought to be running toward it, not neglecting it. This Bible is full of God's truth for your life, full of uh, hope for your future, that you ought to be pursuing this with everything that you've got. Because it can be trusted. Now we could get into a whole lot of that, but Pastor Mike unpacked some of that last week. So if you didn't, if you weren't here last week, go back and listen in uh, to that message. So what I want to do today is I want to just follow up on this, and we're going to ask another big question that we're asking in this series. So last week was truth, is it absolute or is it relative? Today we're going to ask the question about God is He sovereign or is He limited? Is he sovereign or is he limited? Perhaps there's no question that is more debated among Christians than this one. Is God sovereign? Is he unlimited in all all that he does and and control all things, or is he limited in what he does? Now, when you look up the word sovereign in the dictionary, it will give you a definition that says something like supreme power or authority, and some definitions say over a particular area. In the United States, we don't know a whole lot about sovereigns, but if you go to some other uh, countries, you, you, you would identify a sovereign. But think of it like this. There's the United States and there's Canada, right? Now, we agree on some things at the border. We have common talk at the border, but by and large, Canada and the United States are both sovereign in that they, have their, they both have their own power and their own authority over a particular area. Now, in the Bible, you will not find maybe a concise definition of sovereignty as it relates to God, but whenever it's used in the Bible, it simply means that God is God. So, a lot of times when it's used, it's sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord or God is simply God. That's how we understand that, which simply means that he is supreme power over and and authority over a particular area. In his case, it is the world, it's all of our lives. And that's what most of us believe, or that's what we want to believe about God. Now, there are a couple verses in the Bible that I think make this very clear, there's a lot of verses in the Bible, but let me just give you two. The first one is Psalm 115, verse 3, which says, the Lord our God is in the heavens and He does all that He pleases. He does all that He pleases. In other words, there's no person or thing that is powerful enough to stop God from doing what He wants to do. You know some people like that, don't you? They just do whatever they want to do. Right, and that simply means that they've assumed authority in their lives, and they're, are, and they're their own authority. Whatever they want to do, they do. Now, newsflash, God is the only one who's qualified to be sovereign. You are not, right? You cannot call your own shots. God can, because he is God. Now, another, a big word for this is omnipotence, right? Omnipotence, which simply means that God, by his nature, is all-powerful. God has no limitations as to what he can do. And we kind of like that, don't we? We love serving a God who is unlimited in power. With God, all things are possible. In fact, we love it so much that we even take that down the chain and we circle that verse in the Bible that says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We love the idea that all things are possible. Well, another passage from the Bible. Is Psalm 103 verse 19 that says the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Some translations say his sovereignty rules over all. All this means is that God's position as the all-powerful king has been settled. His kingdom has been established and nothing shakes him. No impeachment trials, no impending investigations. No partisanship at all. No, God's sovereignty rules over all things, over all people, and at all all times. Now, most of us do not have a problem with this doctrine of God. In fact, we kind of like this. We kind of like this. And when you consider, after all, when you consider the universe, even from a scientific point of view, using empirical observation— it, 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 it points to the fact, the essential nature, that something has to happen by, tel- by intelligent design. There has to be intelligent design. There has to be something supernatural. There has to be a God, because a purely naturalistic worldview has too many unanswered questions. Nevertheless, they are questions that can be answered with a belief in a sovereign God. So we have no problem believing that God is sovereign over the universe because that's out there, right? We love the fact that yes, God controls everything that's out there in the big universe. He keeps all those planets in place. He even knows about that little thing we've got up in Mars right now. He keeps the sun and the moon and everything spinning in its orbit at just the right place. We love the fact that God is sovereign over the universe, but our problem comes with God's, when God's sovereignty manifests itself In our own lives, in the day-to-day circumstances of our own lives, where we've been, what we're going through, the tragedies that we've endured, the accidents that we never saw coming, this is where we begin to have a problem with the sovereignty of God. Yesterday morning, about 9.30, I got a call, uh, and and it was just to inform me of a 43-year-old man in our community that, that died of a sudden heart attack. Where is God's sovereignty in that? Where is God's control in that? What about special needs children and, uh, and, and things like that? What, where's God's sovereignty? Is God out of control when it comes to things like that? What about all the injustices that are in the world out there? Where is God when all these things happen? If God is really in control and sovereign over everything that's happening in our world, then I don't understand why things are happening the way they do. Because when I watch the news, frankly, it seems like there's a lot of things that are out of control. Right, when I look at my own life and see the things that I'm struggling with that I'm going through and maybe you do too, it's not good. It's just not good. So is this God that we're giving our lives to a God who is able to do all things and control all things? Because if he is, then why is he not doing it? Why isn't he doing it? And so this begins to raise the problems in our minds about the sovereignty of God, because if things were really as, God, as we believe and as, as we say God is, then why are things so bad in our lives? And the way that you answer this question is foundational to your worldview. Steve Lawson wrote, and he said, God's sovereignty is not a secondary truth, but the very bedrock of the Bible. And the way that you answer this question, what we believe about God's sovereignty, determines what we believe about many other things in our lives. I'm going to do my best this morning to help us work through these tensions of of God's sovereignty because we have them. We have them. When When life doesn't make sense, when bad things happen to good people, how do we explain that? How do you embrace that, and how do you walk somebody else through that? So I'm going to do my best to walk you through this this morning. I want to begin with just a purely philosophical discussion, and then we'll get to some theology. The Bible teaches three things that, that three teachings that just don't seem to go together. Number one is the fact that God is good. Now we're good with this, right? We we all give a a, a nod to this. God is good. In fact, all the time, God is good, right? In fact, there's a verse in the Bible uh, from Psalm uh, 100 and uh, Psalm 34, verse 8, and it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is what? Good. Good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 119, verse 68, you are good and do good, so teach me your statutes. Nahum, yes, there's a book in the Bible called Nahum. Nahum chapter one, verse seven, "The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in Him. And Psalm 136 verse 1, church, let's say this together and say it like you mean it. Are we ready? Give thanks to the Lord, for He is He's good. We like this. We agree with this. This is the teaching in the Bible that we embrace the goodness of the Lord. Now this means that he is absolutely pure. He hates evil right? That's what goodness of God means. He's pure, he hates evil, and he has to deal with everything that is in rebellion to him. That's the goodness of God. The second teaching in the Bible that we affirm is simply that God is great. We all, we all agree with this one, right? I mean, we even sang about this this morning. Great is our Lord, how great thou art, right? And we we love the fact that God is great. In fact, there's a lot of Bible verses that support this as well, including Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 5, and I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. 1 Chronicles 16 verse 25 For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and he is to be feared above all gods. Psalm 47, verse 2. For the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. See, the greatness of God simply means that he is all-powerful. This would be the omnipotence, that big word that we talked about earlier. God is able uh, to do all things. He can conquer anything that challenges him. Now, the third. so so we have the teaching in the Bible that, that God is good. And there's many, many other scriptures that affirm that. We also have that teaching in the Bible that God is great. So God is great, God is good. And you're thinking the third one is, let us thank him for our food, right? That's not where we're going this morning. I know you got food on your brain, but we're not going there. We're go- this is different. The third teaching in the Bible is simply this, and that is that evil is real. Now, these three teachings that we see in the Bible don't really go together. And I'll tell you why in a moment. They, they don't seem to fit. God is good, uh, God is great, and evil exists. That simply means that there are, in fact, many things out there that are in rebellion to him. Would you agree with that? Evil is real. It's all around us. At this, Things at this very moment are challenging him. Now, this is a problem. This is where a problem comes in, because if God is good, uh, and he is, right, if God is good, then he would certainly know about evil, and his goodness would condemn evil and want to do something about it. And if God is great, then that means that he's all powerful. That means that he would follow through on what his goodness demands, and he would destroy evil, but he hasn't. So you see where our problem is? If God is great and can do all things, And if if his goodness demands that he destroys evil, but evil is not destroyed, then what do we make of this? How do we solve this conundrum? In fact, you're going to meet a lot of people out there that are going to say, listen, there's no way that God is good because of what's happening in my life right now. There's no way that God is good because of what he's allowing my friends to go through. There's no way that God is great and able to do all things because evil exists and it's hurting a lot of people. So this is the conundrum that we we work through. Now, how do we solve this? Let me share several problems or suggestions, solutions to this problem. Number one is this. We could simply deny the existence of God. This is how some people solve this problem. We just deny the existence of God. That's simple, right? Take God out of the equation and then we can understand that things are happening like this. If God is good, if God is good, and he is great, but he doesn't destroy evil, then it simply means that God must not exist, right? So that's the argument that we have. Problem solved, right? However, This creates another problem, because the very moment that you take out the idea of God, you also need to throw out the meaning of evil. Because in a purely atheistic universe, there's no actual good or evil, and therefore there's no absolute standard to judge anything right or wrong. So all we're left with is preferences. You take God out of the picture, now all we have is preferences. You have your preferences and I have mine. So rape and murder might not be my cup of tea, but they might be yours, right? Somebody else might agree to that, and who am I to say that what others do is wrong? Now, you might be thinking, wait a minute. Isn't there some, isn't there some basic moral nature, though, that everybody has that, that, that knows right from wrong? You don't have to be a Christian to know that it's wrong to kill somebody. You don't have to be a Christian to know that you can't steal things and just take things from somebody else. I mean, isn't that true in every culture, in every people group, wherever you are? right? right. You don't have to be a Christian to know that. Well, guess what? Guess where all that came from? It came from the very fact that humanity is created in the what? The image and the likeness of God. So therefore, it was God who put that moral nature, that basic moral nature inside of all of us. You take God out of the picture, we're no more than animals just destroying each other, right? So again, in essence, it turns out that the reality of evil rather than being an argument against God is yet another reason to believe that God exists. Evil, evil actually proves that God exists. So we can't just take God out of the equation. Well, another solution would be to make God a part of the evil. Just make God a part of evil. This is the thought of Eastern religions, especially Hinduism and Buddhism and even some New Age teachings in the West. Everything is simply a part of God. And so this thing that we call evil is simply the dark side of the force. It's like the story of Star Wars. But in this pantheistic worldview, it says that everything is a part of God, although not the personal God of the Bible. It's just a a small G God. But a God that represents ultimate reality that we become a part of. But I want you to see. In this particular solution to this problem, this view says that we join with the very thing that contains evil itself. So not a likely view for us. Well, another view then would be just to diminish God's power, to diminish God's greatness. Right? This is a view that says God does exist, but he's limited. He's limited in what he can do. He's good, and he sees the evil, but he doesn't have the power to do anything about it. Right? He doesn't have the power to do much about it. This is a teaching in liberal theology that's called process theology, which simply says that God himself is still changing and growing. And maybe one day when God grows up, he'll be able to destroy evil, but not yet. He's not there yet. So that's, a, anybody want to be a part of that thought process? It's not quite where we go, is it? Uh, but hopefully in, uh, sometime uh, God will, will do that. So if God is limited, this is a view that says, if God is limited, then how do we know anything solid about our future? And if God is limited, how do I know that I'll ever have victory over the temptations that are going on in my life? Well, there's a fourth view that yet that says, let's just, do, let's diminish God's goodness. We believe that evil exists and that God is good and he's powerful and he's able to overthrow evil, but his goodness, His goodness is limited. Uh, In fact, uh, it it, it lacks the goodness to take action. So God's just going to let evil go as it is. He's just going to let it exist. Now, on the face of this, most of us would reject this position as well. But truth be told, a lot of people in the midst of their pain and their suffering, they at least flirt with this idea. See, there are people, and maybe even some of us, that have privately shaken our fist in God's face and say, God, you can't really be good. You can't really care about me. You can't really be fair, because everything that's happening in my life would not be happening if you were truly good, right? So we have this idea that the goodness of God is diminished, Evil exists, we believe God is great, but his goodness, we diminish his goodness in saying that if God were really good, these things would not be happening uh, to me. So in order to explain this conundrum of life, the fact that God is good and God is great, but evil still exists, here's what we do. Four options. We deny the existence of God. We make evil a part of God. We diminish God's greatness or we diminish God's goodness. Let me give you one other option. Let me give you another option, because I believe this is better. There's a better option. See, the option to live in this tension and to accept that there is a God, a God who is good, we accept that there's a God who is great, and listen to this, one who nevertheless allows evil for a season and for his greater good, his greater good. Now, I want you to hang on to that because that's very important to understand this whole conundrum. Why would a good God, why would a God who is good and great allow evil? He is for a season, for a season, and for his uh, greater good. So this simply means that we're going to embrace, we're going to embrace the sovereignty of God, and that's the only way his goodness and his greatness and the presence of evil fit together, understanding his sovereignty. Now, before you dismiss this as some outrageous, unfounded, cop-out cliche, let me walk you through some biblical truths that are just going to help you grasp this position. And this is where you will be able to understand why things are happening the way that they are in your life and in the world around us, and hopefully this will give you a way to help other people process, process this as well. So, see, the problem with God's sovereignty is not a question of revelation. The question of God's sovereignty, rather, is a matter of comprehension. So God has revealed so much in his Bible, that, in, in his word, that helps us understand this, but it's simply that you and I can't comprehend it. So let me just give you a few truths that will help that comprehension come together. Number one, and this is all in the handout as well, but number one is this. You just need to know that the world right now is exactly as Jesus predicted it will be. If you're a Bible reader, or if you're a Bible student, what's happening in the world around us right now is not a surprise to you. In fact, it's something that you're expecting to happen, because when you read His Word and the revelation of His Word, He tells us. He tells us what's going to happen. Now, we begin to unpack that through interpretive means and lens, but that's, that's why we do what we do in teaching God's Word uh, here at Grand Point, but see everything is exactly as jesus predicted it would be in john chapter 17 a great great text of the bible this is where jesus prays for himself he prays for his disciples and then he prays for you you need to know that jesus prays for you and he did this in chapter 17 but right before that he comes and he says, listen, I wanna take everything that I've told you so far in the gospel of John, all the revelation that is in this gospel, Jesus says, I've said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. You know that you can have peace? You can have peace in, in Jesus. And that's a, that's a beautiful truth by the way. And then Jesus says, in this world, you will, you will have tribulation, no surprise. You will have tribulation but take heart because i have overcome the world see when people object to christianity because of bad things happening to good people they are actually presenting evidence for the truth because jesus said this would happen jesus did not sugarcoat the truth he said it exactly like it was he said in this world you're going to have sorrow you're going to have trouble you're going to go through pain you're going to go through suffering have no surprise at all when that happens because that's what jesus said would happen. But don't miss the part where Jesus also said, take heart because I have overcome this world. So number one, the world is exactly as Jesus predicted it would be. Number two, evil was not created or caused by God. Evil was not created or caused by God. Now, some people believe that if God created everything and evil exists, then he must have created evil. Furthermore, it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 to 20, before the creation of the world, God had Jesus already planned. He had a Savior, a Redeemer already planned. So the conclusion is that if that happened, even before the creation of the world, before Genesis before sin entered the world, then Jesus himself must have set sin in motion. Now, let me explain this for a moment. This is, this is going to help you understand this. Listen, God did not create evil, but he did create human beings who could love him and follow him, which that simply means inerrant in being human is the ability to do the opposite. So when Adam and Eve sinned, they made a choice not to love and to follow God with their being, and they walked away from him. And that choice has now been repeated down through the human race all the way to you and to me and to our friends who we are still hoping come to Christ. See, God did not create evil, but he created human beings that would have a choice whether to follow or or love him. Real love is never forced. You know that, right? Right? Real love is never forced. It's always freely chosen. So when God created human beings, he did not force you to love him. He gave you the option and the choice. So sometimes people say to me, listen, God would never, a good God would never send anyone to hell. And they're exactly right. He doesn't. He doesn't. God never, never, never sends anyone to hell. That's never his desire. But it's the it's the human choice that sends people there. It's your own choice uh, to go to heaven or hell. God gave us that ability uh, to choose. So real love is never forced; it's freely chosen. So while God did not create evil, He did create us as free beings. Thus, He created the potential the potential for evil, and provided a redeemer in the event that someone would choose evil. Now, another way to follow up on that is that we live in a fallen world. When Adam and Eve sinned, the results were cataclysmic, not only for them and their immediate family, but for the entire cosmos. All throughout the ages, it was cataclysmic. Consequently, you need to know that this world is not as God intended it to be. This world is not as God originally created it to be. Things right now are not normal, things in this world are not fair, and that's all because the presence of evil, people chose to leave God and not follow him. That's that's how this all came to be. Now, yes, his sovereignty could reverse all of that fallenness and that brokenness, and it will. It will. There's a time coming when all of this will be reversed. There's a day coming, listen church, there's a day coming when the sovereign king of the universe will vanquish evil and judge evil, he simply hasn't done it yet. He simply hasn't done it yet. The theme of God's justice and the final day of reckoning before a great judgment is a well-established biblical reality. There's no argument in that, that God is one day going to bring all things to an end. He's going to judge and vanquish evil just as his goodness and his greatness allows him to do. But he just didn't do it yet. Fortunately and mercifully, the Bible reveals a God who is patient, a God who is very patient. And here's why. The apostle Peter explains it this way, and he says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Isn't that beautiful? Love that about God. See, the reason that all of this is in a delay, the the vanquishing of, of evil, God's goodness demands it, his greatness can do it, But he's patiently waiting because there's more and more people, more of our family members and more of our friends that he wants to turn from their evil ways and choose to follow him. This is God's mercy that evil still exists. This is God's patience that evil is still existing because one day when it's vanquished, no one will have that opportunity again to turn toward him. So thankfully, we worship a God who is good, we worship a God who's great, and we worship a God who's ready to vanquish evil when the time is right. But in the meantime, he's just graciously waiting for more and more people uh, to come to know him. Now, finally, let me just say this. In this time period of waiting for a good and a great God to vanquish evil, in this time period of waiting, there's one more thing that's happening, and that is God is working all things for his good. Even the evil things that are happening to us right now, the bad things that are happening to good people, he's working that all together for good. See, a biblical worldview actually offers good news related to evil and suffering. Good news can come out of this. One of the most abused and yet encouraging verses in the Bible is Romans 8.28, where the apostle, where God, through the Apostle Paul, promises us that all things—come on, church, say all things— All things are working together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, be careful how you use that because I've I've actually had someone say to me one time in the midst of a trial, the first thing they said when I showed up at the house was, don't you dare throw Romans 828 at me right now, right? (laughs) They don't want to hear that, and sometimes we don't. But all things, God can work all things, even the evil in this world, he can work it for his greater good if we allow him to do that. This verse does not say, however, that everything that happens is good. In fact, it supports very much the idea that there's a lot of bad things that are going to happen to us, but God can use them for good, or he can bring bring things out of that that are good. Uh, One of the devotionals that Penny and I are using this year, uh, every year we do a devotional uh, book together, and uh, this year we're doing a daily devotional called Extreme Devotion, and it's produced by an organization called Voice of the Martyrs. Not sure if you've heard of that or not, but this book is a compilation of stories uh, told by those people who have given all for Jesus Christ, extreme devotion. And it comes from all different countries and walks of life, but these people have been persecuted for Christ. And I want to read one of these to you because this helps identify the extreme perspective as it relates to a good and a great God and the presence of evil. This is how a sovereign God works. This is a story from China. True story. And uh, the lady's name is Sister Tong. And it says, when the voice of the martyrs workers met Sister Tong in China, she had recently been released from prison after serving six months in prison for hosting an unregistered house church meeting in her home. And when they asked her to tell them about the prison, they expected her to tell them about hardship and discomfort and suffering. And so when they said, hey, Miss Tong, tell us a little bit what it was like to be in prison, she said, oh, yes, that was a wonderful time. Well, the voice of the martyr's workers quickly looked at the translator, thinking that there must have been some confusion in translating their question. After all, they had asked her about a Chinese prison, not some kind of a vacation spot or a revival meeting. But there was no translation error. Sister Tong had understood the question, and she answered it honestly. She thought, she truly thought that prison was a wonderful time because it was there that God had ministered to her heart while she was inside. And God was offering her comfort and peace even in the midst of her suffering. She would not have had that if it were not for prison. In addition, she'd had opportunities to share the gospel with other women in her cell, and several of them had accepted Christ. Sure, it was hard for her to be away from her family. It was hard for her to go through the hardships of the prison, but for this Chinese Christian, the presence of Jesus Christ and the opportunity to minister in his name made even prison a wonderful time. See, instead of seeing hardship. When she went to prison, Sister Tong saw an opportunity to witness. It was a change of thinking for her. It was reverse thinking from what most of us think. Most of us think that a good and a great God would give us a life that is comfortable, a life that is good, a life where everything is just kind of falling in place, and it's just good, good, good. But when the, when suffering and hardship come, we, we associate it with this evil, and we're like, ah, oh, he, he just can't be a good God if he's allowing me to go through this. He can't be a great God. He he must not be able to overcome all this because he's allowing me to go through this. I just want you to know that sometimes the hard things in life, the suffering and the pain are the greatest and the best things that could happen to you because it's there that you begin to understand the goodness of God and the greatness of God. That's the story of Sister Tom. What about you? How do you see God, and how do you see yourself, and how do you see the events happening in the world around you? Do you you see it as all the work of a sovereign God, Or or do you question his goodness and his greatness? See, this worldview of the sovereignty of God makes a difference on how you'll see everything that happens around you and in you, but it requires some reverse thinking. Let's watch this video.
1: I will live my life according to these beliefs. God does not exist. It's just foolish to think that there is an all-knowing God with a cosmic plan. That an all-powerful God brings purpose to the pain and suffering in the world is a comforting thought. However, it is only wishful thinking. People can do as they please without eternal consequences. The idea that I am deserving of hell because of sin is a lie meant to make me a slave to those in power. The more you have, the happier you will be. Our existence has no grand meaning or purpose. In a world with no God, there's freedom to be who I want to be. But with God, life is an endless cycle of guilt and shame. Without God, everything is fine. It is ridiculous to think I am lost in the need of saving. And that's how I felt before Christ opened my eyes, changed my heart, and reversed my thinking. I am lost and in need of saving. It is ridiculous to think everything is fine without God. Life is an endless cycle of guilt and shame, but with God, there is freedom to be who I want to be. In a world with no God, our existence has no grand meaning or purpose. The more you have, the happier you will be is a lie meant to make me a slave to those in power. Because of sin, I am deserving of hell. The idea that people can do as they please, without eternal consequences, is only wishful thinking. It is a comforting thought, however, that an all-powerful God brings purpose to the pain and suffering in the world, that there is an all-knowing God with a cosmic plan. It's foolish to think God does not exist. I will live my life according to these beliefs.
0: a Lenten uh, devotion that I've been uh, working through. It says, uh, today's reading says, the gospels show us that Jesus demonstrates his greatest power through service and his sovereign reign through self-sacrifice. In other words, Jesus was slain because he was the lion and enthroned because he is the lamb. In your moments of brokenness, heartache and hardship, do you see that Jesus Christ experienced brokenness for you so that you might experience the abundance of his reign over your life. He really has. He wants to reign over your life, and he he will if you allow him to do that. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you that you are a God who is good, a God who is great, and a God who reigns over everything in this world, including evil. God, my prayer would be that all of us in this place today would just open our hearts to your reign in our lives so that everything that happens to us, we would just turn that back to you. Thank you for your goodness and your greatness and for the way that you're even working bad things for the greater glory of your good. God, help us to reverse our thinking in how we see life and how we see you and the events around us. And help us to know, to know that you are a God who's sovereign. Overall. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you join us for the next message in our Teach Us to Pray series. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Grandpoint.church, and until next time, remember that you belong here.